During this quarantine time, if you're just joining us, we're making our way through Psalm 23. And we're looking at where is God in the hard times of life? What is God doing in us during a pandemic? What does God want to teach us? Why do these things happen? So we come to verse 6. And verse 6 has this iconic line that goes, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I mean, it's such a great line from David. I don't know how much you've thought about the goodness of God, but I want to start there today because David says it follows you. I think the goodness of God is all around us all the time, every day, but I think we miss it or we take it for granted. I think the goodness of God, we see it in an April rain in Arizona, which we had this year. The goodness of God, you see it when you're in the pool with your kids in the backyard. Uh, The goodness of God, you'll see it when you sit down with your family for dinner tonight. The goodness of God is if you've ever had a baby in your family, you see the goodness of God in little tiny babies. You see the, the goodness of God in simple things like air conditioning, especially in Arizona. It's 99 degrees here and we're still in April, but the goodness of God is all, the, all around us. And sometimes we miss it. So David tries to remind us and bring us into this. And so over and over in the Psalms, he reminds us that God is good. For example, in, in Psalm 34, 8, we read, taste and see the Lord is good. God is so good, you can taste it. Psalm 107, 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness lasts forever. And then Jesus' own brother, James, he writes these words. And in part, Josh's song that he just shared, every good thing comes from, from this verse in James, James 1, 17. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above coming from the father of heavenly lights so let me ask you this when you think about god and his attributes is the first thing that you think about that god is sheer goodness and love or do you like many people first think that well god is bad is i'm sorry no god is angry and he's a, a god waiting and ready to punish me i think we either have those one of those two ideas of god when david came on the scene there was this problem of an angry god and under king david this was about 10th century bc the the Philistines had ruled the land of canaan but then david comes along first he kills their giant goliath and then he becomes king. And, and now the land of Canaan becomes the land of Israel. They even take Jerusalem. And, and David now is saying that there is one true God who is good and he loves you. Just like he says in Psalm 23 verse 6. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. But he's fighting against the perception of his day that the gods are angry. That's God with small g. You see, even though, even though Israel had taken over the land of Canaan, the Canaanites were still there. And the Canaanites had dozens of God in the, gods in the land of Canaan. Uh, they're, they're, the father of the gods was El. Their 
most famous God is, is Baal. You've heard Baal. Elijah fought against Baal. Baal is the one with a cone-shaped head with horns coming out. He had a lightning bolt in his left hand, and he had a club in his right hand, and he stood on a bull. That was Baal. You had Asherah, who was a goddess of war. You had Mot, who was a god of, of death. You had Dagon, who was a god of their crops. But all of these gods, they weren't sure how to please them. Gods with a small g. And so they kept offering sacrifice after sacrifice. Because, for example, if there was a famine or they lost a battle, they thought, well, the gods are angry. Let's, let's sacrifice more things to them. And so they would sacrifice grain and then animals and even children trying to please their gods because they're always battling this syndrome of an angry god. But then David comes along and he says, no, you have a God who, who, may, who may be the, the primary, the sum of all his attributes is his goodness and his love. And today I want to open your eyes. I want to debunk the angry God syndrome and open your eyes to the fact that we have a good God who is ultimately good. I think that is, goes underneath all of his other attributes. I think it's a very superstitious thing, for example, when you think about these Canaanite gods. They were, it, their faith was based on superstition. They were never sure if their God was angry or their God was good. I think there are some Christians who can start to live that kind of super, superstitious way. Growing up, I, I grew up among a very superstitious people. I grew up with the Sapo tribe of Liberia in West Africa, way back in the bush. And whenever I went into one of my friend's huts in the village trying to convince their mother to let the kid come and play some soccer and free him of his chores, I would see inside the front door of the hut was a plate, a small plate with food on it. They were trying to please the spirits. If there was a dry season, they would pile the plate larger. When we had a soccer match, some of my friends would take edo leaves and charcoal and, and rub it on their feet because they thought it would help them score goals. That's a very superstitious way to live. But that's how you live if you aren't sure if the spirit or the small g God that you worship is good or angry. The trouble is sometimes Christians start to operate that way. Uh, what if... What if God's love was conditioned on that? Wouldn't that be the worst kind of love and goodness from God? What if as parents we operated like that? What if your parents or you as a parent only loved your children if they got an A on their math test? If they get a D, then you're angry and they have to give the cat a bath or something like that. What if your kids thought you only loved them if they made the cheer squad or, or the basketball team? What if they thought you only loved them if they got, you know, a 23 or 2400 on the SAT? What if they thought you'd be angry at them if they didn't get into the college that you wanted them to? What if your love and your goodness was conditioned on that? That would be a performance-based love. That would be a goodness that is, that, that is based on how well you can perform. And I'm simply here to remind you of what David and then Jesus shows us is that the goodness of God is not conditioned on, does not hinge on our goodness or even our badness. That kind of performance-based religion is legalism and leads to piety. 
About somewhere around 15 years ago, my theology shaped in a brand new way after I read two books. Uh, the first one was, was John Ortberg's Love Beyond Reason. And he opened my eyes to the sheer goodness of God, to this everlasting love of God, that, that, that God loves us without conditions. The second book that, that I would mention, and I would say they would both be great summer quarantine uh, reads. Hopefully we're through this soon. But the second one is, is Don Miller's Blue Like Jazz. He has two chapters at the end of it on the love of God. He says, being in love is a lot like being in heaven, and I think it's right. But it hit me then that above all of other, God's other qualities, the goodness of God and the love of God are the most predominant ones. And so my, my invitation to you today is to begin to live in the reality of a good God, to relish the goodness of God, to bask in it. In this poem, Psalm 23, David first writes about the dark valleys, the valleys of death even. He says we go through those hard times, those dark times. But then he comes back at the end of this piece of poetry and he says, but in spite of that, I have to remind you, David says, that his goodness, your goodness, God's goodness follows you all the days of your life. Now, he's not dismissing the pain. He's not dismissing the pandemic. He's not dismissing the trouble and the lost job and the trouble with money. He's not, he's not lessening that. He's simply saying, don't miss, don't forget that God is always good and his goodness is always there for you. When you read Psalm 23, if you look at it, verse 6 in the Hebrew, the word goodness, the Hebrew word is tob, T-O-B. And, and English doesn't do it justice when we translate the word tob into English just as good or goodness. It's not enough. Because for the Hebrew people, the word tob means everlasting goodness. It, it means a goodness that never ends. A supply of goodness that is abundant and you can never run out. That's God's goodness. I want to remind you in this time of scarcity that his goodness is like that. And that's what Jesus does when he comes along and he starts to preach. He, he, he debunks this idea that there's a gold star system we operate on, that if we're good, then God is good to us. If we do bad things, then God is, is going to punish us. There's, there's no such math that happens. And, and like I said, he debunks this theology or this theological position that a ratio exists between our sin and God's love or his punishment. For example, in John chapter 9, he's about to heal a blind man. People don't know he's going to heal him yet. But the Pharisees, the hypocrites, they say, the pious ones, they say, so who sinned? His parents or him? Because somebody had to mess up because clearly God punished him with blindness. Do you know what Jesus says? He says, neither. Do you know how freeing those words are? Neither. God's love is everlasting and he heals him. And what we miss with the angry God syndrome is that Jesus Christ and his work on the cross forever paid the price of any punishment that we should expect. That all of those bad things that you think come from God because he's, he's being vindictive. No, Jesus paid the price. It's not there. So bask in relish and claim the sheer goodness of God. 
I, I think as Westerners living in our society, we don't like a paradox, do we? We, we think that if we do something bad, there should be consequences, right? We, we want some kind of equity in that. We, we want the scales to balance, but the scales don't. It's called grace. Uh, Jesus, Jesus comes and he says, I paid the price for that. And so the math doesn't add up. You simply have to accept the goodness and the love of God. Believe it and live in it. Psalm 23, surely, verse 6, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. So there's two key words here I wanted to look at today. David talks about his goodness and his love. In Psalm 18, 1, David makes a simple but profound statement. He says, God loves you. That's what he's saying here. Never, ever forget that. God's love follows you. God's love is consistent. What is love like? How do we understand love? I, I, I love that line from Donald, Donald, Don Miller that I quoted a minute ago. Uh, being in love is a lot like being in heaven. If you've been in love, you know what that's like. Because when you're in love, you care far more about the other person and their needs and wants and their condition than your own. That, that's what love does to us. I know that's what love does because that's what it did to me. When I first met Veronica, who you know now is my wife, when I first met her, uh, the first date she, agro- she agreed to go on, it was very elaborate and expensive. I emptied out my bank account, took her to Disneyland, but it was worth every penny. The second date, I got a little cheap. I just said, hey, do you want to come to the Biola Calf with me? She wasn't on campus yet. And so she went with me and I paid for her lunch. It was like three fifty dollars or something like that. And so as we're having lunch, she, she, she says to me, she says, hey, Palmer, she said, I'm a little scared. She said, I have to go to work after lunch. And she said, I haven't had time to fill up my car. I think I might run out of gas. So she was waiting for me to offer. I said, hey, I'll follow you to the gas station. I'm going to make sure you get there. So after lunch, I get in my car. I'm following her. You know what I'm wishing for? I'm hoping the whole time. It sounds terrible. I was hoping she would run out of gas because I wanted to be her hero. I wanted to, her to have a need, to have a problem. And then I would meet it. And uh, instead, she made it to the gas station. But I said, hey, I'm paying for gas. I only had like a five spot in my, my pocket, but I spent that on gas. She said she fell even more in love with me because all she had was some loose change. <laughs> I didn't know that. She told me that years later. My point is, when you love someone, then you care so much more about them than yourself. I share that to say that's how it is with God's love for you. That's what David is trying to remind us of here, that God's love is is for you. It's other-centered. And so should our love. When, when we express the love that God has put in us, it, it's always meant to be other-centered. True love isn't about me and what I get. And so then Jesus also, not only does he come along and start to talk about the goodness of God, but he also comes along and he starts to establish the love of God. Listen to what he says. This is John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Everything about our faith, everything about following God is, is how we do loving other people. So if you live in God's love like he's inviting us to, then as David says, may a trail of love follow you everywhere. David says that. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. So, so my question to you is, is everywhere that you go, is the love of God following? Are you leaving behind marks of his love? What, what if every conversation started with love? What if every interaction, every action had love as a component? What if every difficult person we dealt with, we dealt with them in love? What if everything we did was marked by love, no matter how hard it was? We had the, the kind of the king of love in our culture today, Bob Goff, uh, come to speak at our Barefoot Tribe gathering a few years ago here at the Grove. And after he spoke, and, and it was the last day of our Barefoot Tribe gathering, I said, hey, let me run you up to your hotel. And so I, I drove him up, and, and, and then as I dropped him off, and, you know, he has a book titled Love Does. He was, and all he spoke about was love and the love of God. So as I'm driving back, you know, basking in a great weekend, I'm thinking about the love that Bob Goff had been talking about. I'm on the freeway, in the fast lane. And I notice that some Yahoo is tailgating me. Well, immediately, I don't know why this is such a visceral reaction that we all have, but I felt this rage in my neck. And then I thought, no, you're just with Mr. Love Does. And then I remembered I was wearing, we had Caitlin Crosby also at our Barefoot Tribe Gathering, and she had given me this key that says love, and it's on my neck. I was like, oh, no, I can't get it. Because I was thinking about brake checking. Most of you would just check your brakes, see if they're all good at that point. And so I hold on to this, and I'm thinking, all right, love does. So I slowly put my blinker on right, moved one lane over, and let the angry guy pass me. It felt good. It was hard. But what if we actually started to live that love of Christ every day and everything? I think in a thousand different ways, we have the opportunity every day to live out the love of God. In Matthew 22, some religious experts come along and they ask Jesus kind of a loaded question. They say, well, what are the top commandments? You know, what are the best top two Ten Commandments for you? And he says, well, and he, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your, your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So he says, love God. Then he says, and then love your neighbor, love others. Love God, love your neighbors. So at, at the top of the hierarchy of what we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself put at the top, love God, love others. If there's something we're called to, there's nothing more important than that. So begin asking yourself, who and how should I be showing the love of God to every day? I think his Holy Spirit is prompting you, whispering to you, saying things like, forgive him or forgive her or give them another chance. Saying that all the time. Listen to them or listen to me, he says, or stay quiet, stay calm. Don't get so worked up. He's saying that all the time to you. Share what you have. Be generous. Show them the goodness and the kindness of God. 
Those kinds of things. The, the problem is we don't always listen. Psalm 23, 6, one more time. Surely your, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Like I said, every day is loaded with opportunity to show the love of God. When Jesus walked on earth, yes, he preached a lot, but he was also doing those good things and love all the time. For, for example, he sees he, there's 10 lepers that come to him. So he heals him. That was good. There's a, a blind man we just talked about. He gives him sight. That was good. There was the, the boy who died in Nain. He brings him back to life. That was good. There was the woman who was bleeding and he stops the bleeding. That was good. Do you see that? There was another woman who, who they were about to stone for her sins and he stops the stoning. That was good. My, my, I say all that just to remind you and invite you to live out the goodness and the love of God every day with your family, with your coworkers, even the dif- difficult ones. This song that Josh Havens has written, uh, Every Good Thing, and you heard it just a few minutes ago. But I want to read the lyrics because they're compelling. And if you haven't downloaded it off iTunes, then right now you need to download it on your phone and put it on your playlist. But he writes this. Every good thing is a title. You're the reason for every good thing. It's our family. It's our friends. It's the feeling I get when I see my children smile. You're the reason for every good thing. This life, everything we love, every heartbeat, every day we get to breathe, you're the reason for anything that lasts, every second chance, every laugh, you're the reason for every good thing. 